But tonight I want to speak to you about being victorious in Christ. Obviously, Jesus paid a massive price so that we can live a victorious life. And it implies that there is a competition going on. In order for us to live in victory, it implies automatically that there is some sort of competition. And we need to find out what that competition is. And that's my point number one for tonight is we need to recognize that we are in a battle. You can call it a battle, you can call it a war, you can call it facing your giants, facing the mountains, whatever way, but we need to recognize that we are facing some sort of opposition. We are in some sort of battle. And in order for us to win, in order for us to be victorious, we need to know that there's a battle and what this battle is all about. Just thinking about wars and and battles Being naive or passive with regards to any battle has never won a victory. Being naive and passive with regards to any battle has never won anyone a victory. We need to be active. We need to be informed. It's like me playing NFL. We can pick the girliest girl in this room tonight, put me up against her to play NFL, and she will kick my butt. Because I don't know the rules, I don't know the game, I know there's a quarterback and a ball, and that's pretty much it. I don't know the plays, I don't know what the strategy is, I don't know the calls. But take the same thing, same scenario back home to South Africa, playing rugby, then I'll be victorious. Because I know the game, I know the rules, I know the strategies, I know what to do. And it's the same with us in life. We need to recognize that there is competition. And this competition wants to take the victory from us. And the enemy knows the game. He's been playing this game for a very long time. And he wants to take our victory from us. But we need to bring Jesus into this picture. Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and I to live in victory. Jesus has stripped the enemy from his authority. He has no right, no reason to be victorious, but he's still in the battle and he wants us to think that we are losing. He wants us to think that we will not succeed when we face our giants, when we go through tough times. He wants us to think that we will not be victorious. He wants to take our victory from us. I want to read you Colossians 2 verse 15. He being Jesus, strip all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross. And then it goes on so beautifully. It says, and march them naked through the streets. That's one way to tell your enemy and everyone else that I have been victorious. Is to take the authority from them and march them naked through the streets. So again, Jesus has won this victory. And he has taken every right from the the spiritual tyrants, from them to have authority in this battle. Now tonight, your your battle might be self-worth. Your battle might be physical health. Your battle might be finances or a, a tough relationship that you're going through. Your battle might be a lot of stuff tonight. And you and I need to be informed. You and I need to recognize that that we are standing in a battle. And in order to To live victoriously, we need to recognize what Jesus Christ did for us. In order to live in victory, you and I need to take action and tell ourselves, hey, the battle 
is on. Now, when a human being proceeds into action, he does it based off of two reasons. So you and I, going into this battle, starting to take action in this battle, will do it either because we are motivated or secondly, because we are disciplined. Firstly, because we are motivated, because of motivation, we will act, start living this victorious life, take on this challenge, take on this war, face the mountain, or we can do it out of discipline. Now, just to quickly abbreviate, motivation is a mental, emotional state. It's all with how I feel with regards to the situation. It says that when I feel like it, I will do it. Someone came up with a very stupid saying that says, I will follow my heart. Have you heard that before? Who have used that before? Don't raise your hands right now. But that, <laughs> that is one of the, the stupidest sayings ever. Because in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the Bible says, The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful. A puzzle that no one can figure out. Now, how do you want... The puzzle that no one can figure out lead you into action. When you go to war or this battle that you are facing, expecting to live in victory only when you feel like it, if you go into this battle facing your opposition only when you feel like it, only when you are motivated enough to do it, I must tell you and I must give you bad news tonight that you are going to miss out on a lot of fun stuff that God wants to do through you. If you wait till motivated enough to act, or when you feel ready to act when facing this giant, facing this battle, you're going to miss out on a lot of stuff. I want to tell you a quick story of my life. Uh, when I grew up, my family used to go to the coast of Durban. Uh, if you ever want to come to South Africa, please consider the fact that the currency is 1 to 14 Right, so if you go there, you're very wealthy. So go to Durban, and close to Durban, there's a small little beach called Uvongo. So you've got the beach on the one side, there's a river leading into it, and between, uh, between two, oh, where's my English gone now? <laughs> there's a river, a waterfall, so there's, <laughs> come on, Jesus, help me on this one. <laughs> There's two cliffs. Ah, oh, cliffs. <laughs> English is my second language. So you've got a cliff, you've got waterfall, you've got the river, and then you've got the ocean. But growing up, there was, you could walk up to the cliff and then jump off of it. Now, we made the joke this morning that when you stand at the bottom of the cliff, it looks like 10 feet. When you're at the top, it looks like 30 feet. All right? So that's just the change in perspective. But I went back with my two brothers-in-law, and they're crazy guys. They like extreme sports. So I challenged them, hey, guys, let's do this. Let's go up to the cliff. Let's do the jump. And I have done the jump. I know what it takes. So uh, in walking up and just proving to our wives who's the manliest man, um, <laughs> I knew that I'll prove myself. Walking up, I had to tell myself, I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump. And it takes about five minutes to get to the top. And when you get to the top of the cliff, you just stand there quickly, make sure where you're going to land, and then you go back. 
Because if you stand on the edge for too long, trying to motivate yourself in order to jump, you'll never make the jump. Going up to the cliff, going up to the edge, you need to tell yourself, I am going to jump. Look quickly, go back and run and jump. <laughs> Needless to say, I was the only one that jumped that day. Because I did it. Woo! My wife was so impressed. I, I can just hear the conversations um, when the brothers-in-law went to bed that night. Baby, why didn't you jump? Why didn't you jump as well? Reino did it. Why couldn't you do it? So I had to go in and discipline myself into action. Because if I stood there waiting to motivate myself, I would have never made the jump. And that's the exact same thing when we face challenges. It's the exact same thing. If we wait till we are motivated enough, we're not going to act on it. And that's where discipline comes in. See, discipline separates function from emotion. Discipline separates our function or our actions from our emotions and mood. And our actions are not based on our feelings. Discipline says, I'm going to do it whether I feel like it or not. If your action is conditional to your feelings, you will forever be waiting for the right moment. If your action is conditional to your feelings, you will forever be waiting for the right moment. Let's look at what David did. I'm going to read you Psalm 34 verse 1 to 3. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let's exalt his name together. Now just to give you a bit of context in the scripture, this psalm, David wrote it after he had victory over Goliath. So just paint the picture. Obviously, we read the scripture and it sounds beautiful, but we need to understand the context where it comes from. He won the battle against Goliath. He's public figure number one in his city, his nation. He's the guy that saved his whole nation. But then the king turns on him and the king wants to kill him. So he has to flee for his life. That means he leaves his wife behind. He leaves his nation, his safety behind. He leaves his, his best friend behind. And King Saul sends guys after him to kill him. At some point, he, he even has to act mad for the people that catch, captured him not to kill him. And then he runs off into a cave. Now, do you think for one moment, sitting in that cave, he's, he felt victorious? His emotions were at a place good enough in order to write this and sing this. Do you think for one moment he was led by his heart? I mean, we sing the songs that was written based on this, this psalm. Your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever sung that before? Ever sung that in a really difficult moment before? And that's exactly where, where David was. See, he didn't allow his emotions, his heart, or his feelings to dictate his actions. Him praising God was unconditional. It was a discipline, and that is why King David was victorious. He didn't do it based off of his emotions, but out of discipline. And just again to say that David was very intact with his emotions, 
but he did not allow his emotions to influence his actions. And we will be victorious if our actions are unconditional. We will stand in victory when facing giants, mountains, battles. We will be in victory when our actions are unconditional. When we act out of discipline and not out of motivation. And that, according to me, is one of the big reasons why people struggle with Christianity. You'll see people come into the church, have a fun time, and then after a couple of months, they'll leave. It's because people are motivated by the benefits of Christianity and not disciplined in the relationship of Christianity. A lot of people will come in and leave because they are in it for the benefits that they can get out of it. They are motivated by the benefits of Christianity and not disciplined in the relationship. You'll hear stories like, I trusted God for my finances. I gave my tithe, so how many months? But still, God didn't come through. Or I prayed, my mother was sick. Uh, God never healed her. She died. Don't be motivated by the benefits, but be disciplined in the relationship. I want to read you a scripture, John 20, from 24 to 27. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, Now, we can read this in a very passive, relaxed manner. We have seen the Lord. But imagine the picture. Jesus died. Your best friend, you spent three years with him, did amazing stuff with him. I mean, this was the time of your life, but Jesus died. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And this is the picture where they, as the ten disciples, want to tell the story to Thomas. We have seen the Lord, buddy. I mean, this is the greatest day of our life. Listen to this guy's response. Party pooper, is that, is that a, a term that you use in the States as well? So the party pooper says, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Can you, can you just hear the unbelief? I mean, his 10 best friends give him the best news ever. And he's just like, I don't want to believe it. I want to do all those stuff and then I will believe it. So eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And I asked myself the question, Thomas, why the hands? Why the hands of Jesus and not the face? Why do you want to see the hands of Jesus and not the face? You spent three years with him, but you want to look at his hands. Did he want to look at the hands of Jesus because of what Jesus could do for him? And not at the face because of who Jesus is for him. Did he look at the hands because of what Jesus could do for him and not at the face because of who Jesus is for him? Are we so motivated to serve Christ because of his actions or are we disciplined in the relationship? Do we look at the hands or we do or do we look at his face? And the, and the great thing is in Christ we cannot lose. He's already paid the price for victory. 
In Christ, we cannot lose. We are victorious. But if we look at his hands, it might be that we feel defeated every now and again. If we look at his hands and motivated by his actions, it might be that we feel discouraged and defeated every now and again because his hands will not operate the way that we expect. But when we look at his face, when we are disciplined in the relationship, we know him, we trust him, we know that he's true in his character. He has never proved himself unworthy. It doesn't matter what his hands are doing because we know his face. It doesn't matter how his hands are moving because we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. I want to give you another story that speaks about this just from the, the other, other side of the coin. Uh, Matthew 7.21-23 to Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Isn't it great to see that Not only does Jesus expect of us to look at his face and not at his his hands, he also expects that he will be seeing our face and not just our hands. Not just the works that we can do for him. And the great thing is when we know his face and when we look at his face, our hands will be in the right place. Our hands will be in the right place. Point number three, when we know his face, Our hands will move in victory. One of my favorite Bible stories is found in Acts 16, verse 22 to 28. Just a great story of two guys looking at the face of Jesus and then having their hands moved. The crowd joined in attacking them. Just to give you a picture, Paul and Silas is going out to pray and there's this demon-possessed lady that follows them. And she shouts stuff the whole time. So guys, I know even in the Bible, we don't like it as men when women shout constantly. Um, Don't don't give an amen now if your wife is next to you, okay? So they're going to pray. And this lady actually has demons inside of her. And she makes a lot of money for for her owners by by telling other people's fortune. And... um, Paul is just fed up with her and he casts out this demon and they don't like it because there goes the opportunity to make money. And we find themselves, or they find themselves being attacked. Uh, The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, guys, I don't know about you, but when I go out to pray, I come across a demon-possessed lady. I pray for her. The demon gets casted out, and then I get beaten. I think the obvious action is to to sit down and have a chat with Jesus. (laughs) Say, Jesus... 
I, I need to discuss something with you. Uh, I went out to do exactly what you told me to do. And now I am naked, beaten in a jail. I think we need to chat about what is happening here. But it's so amazing just to see how these guys operate. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So, let's say I was holy enough and close enough to Jesus that even being naked, beaten up, bloody, in a jail, and, as I said, holy enough to to push through that and start singing, and now, all of a sudden, this is my my chance to run, right? Who of you would have stayed behind at that moment? (laughs) I mean, this this is seeking the face of God, seeing His hand move, and then running for it. But it's so beautiful that even... When they saw the hand of Jesus moving, they were still looking at the face of Jesus. Because look at what happened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. I mean, this gives you more opportunity to run. Because the only guy that stands between you and freedom is the guy that wants to kill himself. Let him do that. Thank you, Jesus. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. How amazing, again, that they were constantly looking at the face of Jesus. And even in that moment where they had no reason to worship him, they they still worshiped him. And even when they were free, they did not run. They still looked at the face of Jesus. And even when the guy that was standing between them and freedom wanted to kill themselves, they were still looking at the face of Jesus. And this night ended with this guy and his whole family being saved and baptized. Looking at the face of Jesus. Constantly. They knew in Christ that they will be victorious, regardless of what happens to them. So they did not act out of motivation, but out of discipline. And because they knew his face, their hands were constantly moving in victory. Even to the point where they could run away. And when you look at the hand of God, that would be the obvious. But they were looking at his face, knew him, knew his character. So they, even when the jailer wanted to kill himself, acted in a way honoring Christ. To the point where his whole family was saved. James 1 verse 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, this year was was marked with a lot of this in my life. Um, I came into ministry, had, had a business on the side, and the business closed down due to a lot of reasons. So I had to go through a salary cut of about 60%. Now, there's no reason for joy in that. But God giving me the scripture says, Reno, joy is not the obvious. Joy is not the default action. 
And as I said, English is my second language. And there was a lot of focus for me on the word consider. Consider to me means do not act immediately. Why don't you sit down and think about this? Because when troubles come your way, it might be that in that trouble, it is an opportunity for joy. It's not going to be the default. It's not going to be the obvious. But when you sit down and consider the face of God, it will be an opportunity or it will be great joy. See, joy is not the motivator. Joy is the result of being disciplined. Motivation makes you feel good and then you do it. Discipline makes you do it, and then you feel good. You've seen my wife, and, and yes, she is beautiful, but there's not a lot of days that I get up and feel like a married man. In the first three months, it's easy, because, I mean, it's just beautiful. And, uh, but after three months, bad breath is still bad breath, right? <laughs> don't, don't. Nudge your wife now on the ribs, okay? <laughs> but let's say, for instance, I was married 100 days. 99 out of the 100 days, when I wake up, I do not feel like a married man. But do I act like a married man? I do not feel like it, but do I act like it? Seeing being married is not, it is, <laughs> it is not a motivation. It's a discipline. And I do not wait for the benefits of being a married man before I start acting like a married man. But I act like a married man and then I live in the benefits of being married. All the guys can say amen to that. Point four, and that's my last point. Who of you guys, and I must say the, the people in America are health conscious and I'm really proud of you guys. But can I quickly see... How many of you, well, it's, it's difficult, that being said, living in, in the southern parts of America. Um, who of you guys has got a dream to live in a perfect 10 out of 10 bodysuit? Right? Come on. Who wants a fit, nice, lean, in shape? You're lying. It's something we all want, all right? We've all Googled how to f lose fat fast. We've all been there. So we all want that. We all want to live in a fit, healthy, lean, honeymoon body. <laughs> now, can I quickly see the second question? How many of you guys actually have got goals and dreams in place to see that happen? Okay, so we went to, everyone lied. The first question is 100%. We went down to about 30, 20%. Can I quickly see who of you guys are currently living out that dream body? And if you put your hand up now, please know that you will be judged. Okay? <laughs> so, can, <laughs> who of you guys are living out that, that dream? <laughs> wives? Is that your dream? The point I want to make is we all have dreams and goals. Dreams and goals that God has placed in our hearts. We all have at least one. 
we all have dreams and, and stuff that we want to see God do through our lives. And it's stuff that God has placed in your heart. But how many of you are currently working on objectives and goals in order to see those dreams met? How many of you guys are currently working to have those dreams come to life? See, a lot of dreams will die with us just because we waited to be motivated enough to do them. And we didn't do it out of discipline. Again, in Christ, we cannot lose. But there are dreams and victories that God wants us to live in and live out. But without Christ, we won't see it because he brings the victory. He did his part, but we still need to do our part. The question again tonight is, are you going to wait to be motivated to do your part? Or are you going to start acting out of discipline? I want to conclude tonight to say that the only reason why we cannot lose in Christ is because there was a battle. 2,000 years ago, there was a battle. And I can honestly say that I don't think Jesus was motivated to go into that battle. But he was disciplined to stand up and fight for our behalf. And you and I are victorious when we are in Christ.